Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. Welcome to episode 00003 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm your host for the next hour through to 8 o'clock. Start off this program, as always, by acknowledging the traditional owners from which I am broadcasting and you are probably listening this evening, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. So, um... What about that federal election, huh? <laughs> no, really. I think people on both sides are still um, in shock, uh, a combination of happiness, grief and terror, <laughs> depending on how you see things. Um, I think people are a little bit over it, so uh, we'll have a, by and large, politics-free zone on the mission tonight. Uh, always a reminder that elections come and go, but uh, the issues remain and evolve so, with that in mind, we have two guests on the show this evening. Um, shortly, I'll be speaking with uh, Margot Neal, Senior Research Fellow at the uh, National Museum of Australia and uh, Principal Advisor to the Director of Indigenous Matters at said institution. She'll be uh, on the line to talk to us about an initi- initiative about um, how museums and galleries can actually better engage with Indigenous people. Um, a roadmap has been developed, the uh, First Peoples, a roadmap for enhancing Indigenous engagement in museums and galleries. We'll speak to her about that. And later on in the hour, I'll be speaking with fellow Yorta Yorta man Ian Ham. Ian's been appointed uh, president of the uh, Community Broadcasting Foundation. So we'll learn about that and him and uh, maybe some other issues. Ian's been around for a long time and there's been uh, he's been in several key roles in relation to Aboriginal affairs in this state, so it should be good to have a yarn with him. The best way to connect with me during the show is via my Twitter handle at Mr DT James. So it's uh, time to snap out of that post-election funk with some funk. Triple R. Museums have been a place of uh, mixed emotions for many Aboriginal people over the years. At their best, they have been places that celebrate our culture and shine a light on the traditional, spiritual, social and political way of life which is embedded in our culture. At their worst, they are little more than specimen exhibits that showcase Aborigine as he or she once were, adorned with dubiously obtained tools and artworks and cloaks. Well, I'm very pleased to say that there is uh, work underway to have far more of the former and hopefully none of the latter. First Peoples, a roadmap for enhancing Indigenous engagement in museums and galleries, which commits the nation's museums to working hand-in-hand with Indigenous peoples in the representation of our culture and communities in museums and galleries, um, has been launched and was launched last week in our nation's capital. Its vision statement is very simple. It reads... The roadmap is about changing interactions, communication, understandings and ultimately the Australian view of First Peoples. Uh, on the line with us now to tell us about the roadmap is uh, Margot Neal. 
She's the uh, Senior Research Fellow um, at the National Museum of Australia and Principal Advisor to the Director of Indigenous Matters. She's also an adjunct uh, professor at the Australian National University Centre for Indigenous History. Margot, welcome to Triple R. Oh, thank you very much, Daniel. Can I just make a slight correction to the title? Sure. Probably come off a very old website, because that's probably what we've got. I'm the um, <laughs> senior digital, um curator, but more importantly at the moment, I've just set up a new Centre for Indigenous Knowledges, which I'm heading up, so... That brings us up to the moment. Oh, brilliant. Congratulations yep. on that. Um, <laughs> no sweat. Um, what instigated the development of the uh, of the roadmap in the first instance? Well, well in 2015, one of the many museums and associations conferences in Tasmania, um, you know, it, it, it alert, I was alerted to the fact that you had one mob of people saying everything's the same, nothing's changed, you know, and on the other hand, I've got all these people telling me about the super stuff they're doing and the, uh, and the quality of Indigenous engagement. And so and I'd also been talking to some internationals and they were, again, talking about all different things. I thought, you know, it's so patchy and, and there's all these good things being done in little isolated pockets. And, and those who thought nothing was happening thought nothing was happening. So I just thought it was about time there was an audit. So I actually put my hand up and suggested that maybe we should do an audit and see who is doing what and and perhaps it'll pull us together and we can all pull at least in the same direction. So that was kind of taken up with great alacrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, thus, this, thus um, this roadmap... Great funding was sought by um, Alec Marsden, the director of what's now called Amaga. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, it was well supported. And as you could see, we've got Indigenous Terry Jenkins, you know, the foremost Indigenous person in the intellectual property field. And, yeah, an absolute and, gun. Yeah, the gun. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's been gunning along with great support. And, you know, it just augurs really well. So what would. If this roadmap is fully implemented and it's, you know, owned by museums and galleries across the country, what will that space look like in 10 years when, when all is said and done? Well, according to, according to um, you know, Terry's sort of future projections, there'll be, you know, like... Um, very Well, first of all, let's go back to the actual... Um, what I think you will see more consistently across the field. Now, I'm from a major national, you know, institution, so it's quite different in the regions and the galleries. So um, what we can achieve compared with others is kind of a moot point, but at least we'll be working, supporting together to do, you know, stronger engagement. You'll have, you know, treble, if not more, the Indigenous employment in institutions in these places, not just... You know, not at the bottom, but from in, from positions of influence, from executive to potentially a CEO or two across the area, and Indigenous people right through vertically and laterally through these institutions. That's, I think, a really big move. And there are, you know, mentoring programs already afoot from this organisation. You know, some people you talk about culturally safe places, you'll have collections, you'll never have any consultation or work with Indigenous collections that doesn't involve 
Indigenous, either uh, curators and custodians. I have to say the National Museum, you know, we're well on what they call the critical pathways in doing all this, but we, yeah, we're pretty new museum. We, we don't have so much of the baggage of the past like those older imperial kind of yeah. institutions. Yeah, no, that's, a real, that's a real opportunity. I don't know what it can look, you know, I kind of know what it can look like because we're kind of doing it in so many ways. I'd never suggest we're there, but, you know, a lot of this. And so you have, you know, I think that, yeah, and we have to be realistic. We are only 3.5 or whatever percent of the population, and out of that, only some people want to work in institutions. Others want to work in health or education or housing. So, you know, we've got to be a bit realistic about it. But but what I do in this institution, I don't know if I do, but there's other, it's like 12, 15, like 6, 7, 8% of Indigenous employment through... Um, through the whole strata, but, you know, it also means how you, the quality of your engagement with Indigenous mobs around the country for everything you do, that's also part of the story. So, so um, I know you're on a landline, Margot, but um, the, 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 the sound's a little bit muffled every now and then. I don't know if there's anything you can do at um, right, your okay. end, but um, how, how binding... So, you know, the audience is Australians and museums... Um, uh, uh, galleries, audiences, Indigenous communities. So it's it's a very far-reaching document. How binding is it? Well, look, you know, it's like all of these kind of people movement things. There's an element of pride and shame. Yeah. So I reckon, I reckon, because it's run, it's Indigenous-led initiative, you know, uh, or run by and been monitored, continued to be reported upon by. Us, we have a sense of ownership of it yeah. in a way that probably no other such program has ever had. So I think that is an enormous plus. And and I think the other the other really important things I think I'd like to add in this, and, and it'll be reviewed again in ten years' time. It won't just stop. Yeah, yeah. You know, it'll be then reviewed and updated. It's a bit like the rap. You know, action plans in a way. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. It does sound like that, but it sounds like a, yeah. you know a, a more a, a rigorous version of of a rap and yeah. and something that's you know binding. I've had my fair share of um, experiences yeah. with uh, reconciliation action plans and various organisations over the journey. And unless organisations and um, uh, people within those organisations have ownership of those reconciliation action plans, yeah. actually mean nothing. Whereas this process seems to have fixed that rough on the outside by getting, you know, a wide range of support both within and without um, the museum, uh, I guess, industry. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of the important... So there's a five-point sort of framework which says things like, you know, we have to reimagine representation, which means that we need to confront and move past the, our colonial history by amplifying, if you know, Indigenous voices and, you know, sort of in a way not ignoring our past, bringing it with us as a shared past that we all have to acknowledge, not ditch. You know, I think that's important, just confronting stuff. And then there's embedding Indigenous values into museum and galleries business. So that, you know, that involves I, I often say you know you can't just take on our bodies that is employment and our objects that is collections without taking on our ways of knowing and being. 
And then I think also, um, just as importantly, our way of uh, storytelling, you know, some of the, sure. the greatest storytellers in this country are, are Indigenous and some of the, certainly some of the, uh, the greatest storytellers I know personally um, are, yeah. are Indigenous. So, you know, there's, sure. there's, there's so much value to be add, added by making sure that you do increase Indigenous opportunity you know, in, in this sector. Yeah, yep. Uh, and as I say, opportunity means to me, as the roadmap's called, the roadmap for enhancing Indigenous engagement. So it's not about stats only, although there's a very, if you look at the roadmap, there's some, Terry said we get to 100% on a whole range of things by in 10 years. That's a really good goal, but it's a really about the 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 quality of the engagement and the and the acknowledgement of our values and our systems and our way of thinking and value of our knowledge is as something more than a footnote on Australian history as it has been in the past. Yeah, like I said, like I said from the outset, you know, yeah. museums especially in, you know, old towns like um, Melbourne. Not to say that uh, the Melbourne Museum um, is anything like that anymore. Bunja Lucker is actually fantastic. Um, sure. But, um, you know, you, you go to, you know, regional museums or small town museums and the, the, the Aboriginal culture is really just represented as, as an exhibit. You know, like I said, the, the life of the Aborigine as uh, he or she used to live it and very little beyond that. Yeah, they're stereotypes, you know. Now, I think when when these bigger institutions like ours, if we sort of lead the way, you, you know, things things will get reflected and bound and echoed into other places through people and so Because things do get around faster now, as you know, good and bad. Um, so I reckon we, we, we have the responsibility, us with the big, the large indigenous collections and our roots in the colonial past, have a huge responsibility and, the, 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 you know, I might be in the rarefied, you know, institutions, but I've found the will is enormous. And so, as you and I know, will is fabulous, but we needed a roadmap by Indigenous people on, on it. The institution needs a roadmap, and so we got it. And I just think it's a, it's a way into our shared future that we didn't have before. You're listening to Triple R, 102.7 FM. I'm speaking with uh, Margot Neal about a roadmap for enhancing Indigenous engagement in museums and galleries. Um, museums are, um, you know, pop- more popular now than ever. Um, the, you know, the, the patronage of museums is, um, you know, continuing to climb and climb and climb. Does the roadmap um, pay sort of... Well, does it have an acknowledgement that, you know, not only is this a way of changing the sector, but it's also a, a way of, you know, um, empowering society as a whole? Yes. Um, yeah, it, it certainly refers to that sort of shared history component where this is all Australian history and we have a... We, we can, in fact, um, uh, um, yeah, lead the way beyond just in the Indigenous field but as a shared... towards a shared future. And it particularly talks about that kind of transforming society in various ways. So, um, yeah, it is certainly part of the intention but the, but the primary intention in 10 years is to get... Lots of black fellas in place in the right places, highly valued, and our materials interpreted by our mob, do two way caretaking, cultural material, increasing opportunities. So, really, they're more with, with the kind of 
what's the word? The addendum that this is part, also part of the way to transforming society. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I always say in uh, Indigenous or Aboriginal affairs, if, if you can make something work in this space, you can make it work um, anywhere. So, you know, hopefully there's learnings that will come out for this for other, you know, other parts um, of, of the industry, but also other parts of uh, society. Well, it's interesting. We, we were, there was a very rousing speech at this conference by um, Ben Quilty, who mm-hmm. you may or may not yes. know, um, who totally, who, who really, to all of the, us, the museum going sector at this thing, at this uh, conference, he said that he, he was the one who said, it's you mob here, I know I'm speaking to converted, but you mob here have the responsibility to unite, get your Forget your, forget your jealousy and your polarisation, get over it, get on with it with each other. This is the way forward. He's totally, you know, he spends a lot of time in the desert and he's very, he just says, in this country you have the best artists in the entire world and we're not promoting it. By art, I mean like black fellow Yeah. Because it's custodian, they don't mean just people to pay. Um, I mean, and so does he, and he, he just... It was just rousing, really, and it's deep, deep-hearted. So he can work some of his own way into that space that we're talking about and seeing the huge value of our people to Australia as a, as a society and a community. Um, and and you know, and he's he was charging all of us to do the same. And he wasn't specifically talking about the roadmap; mm. just talking about us as a sector. Well. The roadmap, as it says, is, is, you know, like I said, and no matter what intentions are, but you do need a few signposts, you know, um, because we've all been there, you know, stumbling around the dark and all in our own little corridors, and we've got to get on that super highway. Absolutely. And I think, you know, history shows, if you have a look at history, where there's things being, you know, achieved through, um, you know, agitation in, in uh, Indigenous Australia, it's been when mobs from all different nations have actually got together yeah. as a collective and um you know really push for some for something hard so you know you know i wasn't there obviously but that you know ben's absolutely right to say you know got to put aside your, your differences and any agitations that you might have amongst yourselves and um strive for a common goal it doesn't diminish any one mob it actually enriches yeah. us all yes yeah, you know i know it's, a, it's this bloody human we have to be reminded of that continually, whatever, whatever, like, it's a human thing, isn't it? A human trait. It's very annoying. It's in the way of lots of things. It does, it certainly <laughs> does. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's actually great to have um, a good news story. It's really um, important yeah. to, to really highlight the things that are actually being done and achieved in this space. It's always um, easy um, and or tempting to, to fall into the bad news you, stories, yeah. but um, this this is something that um, uh, enriches all of us if it um, if it comes off, and I have full confidence that it does. So yeah, um, I, I do too, actually. I've been around the sector for 30, 40 years, and I can tell you that this is I just I just I can't see this falling over. It's like it's an engine on the road that just it can't fall over. It's fantastic. If you want to check out the roadmap, you can go to um, MGA indigenousroadmap.com.au that's um, mgaindigenousroadmap.com.au to um, have a look at um, what's being planned and uh, what we've been talking about. What's the MGA, like M for museum? M for museum, G for gallery, is it? Gallery. Yeah, yeah, and A for Australia. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Pretty safe, pretty safe, a very safe driver. <laughs> Margot, thanks very much for your time. That's all right, my pleasure. Thanks, Danny. Cheers. Cheers. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. 102.7 FM, this is The Mission. My name is Daniel James. Now, um, if you're listening to this, I don't need to tell you about the importance of community radio. I think we can all agree that community radio doesn't merely fill a vacuum in the media landscape. It also adds immense value through the promotional diversity, diversity of ideas, perspectives, music, etc. We get to listen to learn from segments of our community that many of us simply don't get the chance to in our daily lives. Community radio provides avenues to those communities where mainstream media simply won't go. And I think we can all agree that after the last six weeks, media diversity is more important now than ever. The Community Broadcasting Foundation is a champion um, of independent media, diversity, multiculturalism and social justice. Uh, They work every day to achieve the vision, a voice for every community sharing our stories. And they support community media, including Indigenous, ethnic, regional and radio reading. The Foundation has recently appointed um, a new president, Ian Ham. He's a Yorta Yorta man and has extensive government and community sector experience, particularly at the um, executive and uh, governance levels. Uh, He's overseen major policy and strategic reforms in government for, I don't know, I'm probably guessing well over 20 years. I've known him since, he's, uh, since he had hair. Um, <laughs> he, um, he's worked in the Office of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health. He's worked in the Victorian Government Department of Justice, Department of Planning and Community Development, uh, Economic Development, Jobs, Transport and Resources. He also was the president of, um, of a football league, um, which is um, something in itself. But he now finds himself the president of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Ian, welcome to the mission. Thank you, Daniel. Pleasure to, pleasure to be here. No worries. Look, I was um, really pleased to see you um, uh, in this role, but I was also surprised to see you in it as well because I know that you wear so many different hats and um, you, know, you have a vast array of experience, but to see you pop up in this particular role was, um, was very pleasing. How, how did that come about? Uh, look, it came about because um, um, uh, you may not know this, but I have left government, and in fact, I've decided to devote myself to um, what can I do in the not-for-profit sector in particular, and particularly at governance levels. Um, I was approached to consider uh, community broadcasting, and and I have had a, a little background in it, very tiny, but enough of a background to know that it's incredibly important. So when I got approached to um, to think about. Uh, would I throw my hat in the ring for this role? Um, I thought, well, one of the things of community broadcasting is, as you were saying before, its importance in adding another dimension to the media landscape, which quite simply there needs to be more dimensions to it, to be honest. Um, And and the foundation itself, when I looked at what it did, which is around how do we make 
these sectors sustainable? How do we, in fact, grow it? How do we ensure that it's, it's got longevity? And I thought, when you add all that up, this is a really attractive role and it's something I'm interested in. So uh, I applied for it and I was um, fortunate enough to, to get the role. Well, congratulations. Um, for those that don't know about the, uh, the foundation, what would you say is its, it's, its core business? Okay, so the federal government uh, provides uh, the community broadcasting um, um, sector with about $16, $18 million grant line every year. The purpose of the foundation is to distribute those grants, so it seeks applications from the um, 480 plus community broadcasters across Australia. Um, so the role of the foundation is to really think how do we apply those grants or how do we apply that money in a grant sense. Um, really what we're looking for is what can actually enhance um, uh, operations of the of the um, broadcast sector, what lends itself to stability and sustainability, what is about sector development. Um, so we, we're not really an operational grant. Uh, uh, it's not an area where you would seek money for, you know, just ordinary operations, but rather mm. what's the investments that need to be made to put a, you know, for example, uh, a radio station, Triple R, for example, what's the investments that need to be made into Triple R so that it actually builds its business so it becomes um, a more solid uh, organisation, how it, how, it, uh, how it develops over the next five, ten years, those kind of things. Yeah, as you, as you mentioned, um, the, the foundation handed out, when I say handed out, it, you know, strategically handed out $16.3 million um, in the sector last year. That doesn't sound yeah. like a lot of money, but for a community radio station, even a small slice of that can be um, transformative. Oh, it can be. It, it can it can help a it can help a board of a of a uh, community radio station develop its strategy for the next five years. It can purchase the digital equipment that it needs for the you know for um, making sure it actually gets into the digital sector far more than it is. Um, it can help it cope with the whole social media. How do how do community radio stations exist in the social media um, universe? It can be all of those things. That's what we're looking to do. But you're right. Some of this on the great scale doesn't seem to cost a lot. But when you're you know a bread, when you're an organisation that runs on very thin margins with very small amounts of money, these grants can make a huge difference. Yeah, and the grants. Um, the, I think the next round of grants. I don't expect you to be over the detail of the various grants that um, okay. that you hand out. It's pretty much day one on the uh, on the board, well, on the job. Um, yeah. uh, but you know, the, the next funding round opens uh, the first of uh, July this year. Yeah. And yeah, you know, the, the various grants. I'm just looking at the website now. There are content grants. There are development and operation grants. There are quick response grants and there are major project grants so um, I'm sure that there's plenty of uh, radio stations out there and perhaps this one that um, will um, have a close look at those um, as, yeah. as we move forward I'd certainly encourage every community broadcast organisation to have a look at the grants, to really think about what is the, uh, what is the uh, long term investments we need to have what are the strategic things we need to think about what's the stuff that's going to make a difference not today, but what's going to make a difference in the years ahead. Have a think about that. Have a look at the grants and, and put the work in to apply for a grant through the um, foundation. Fantastic. Well, I'll um, keep people abreast of that as uh, this uh, show continues to uh, to move on. But while i got you here, you've been in a range of portfolios, um, fair slice of that in government. Uh, I hope you don't mind me saying you're, you're already a man, but you're also a member of the Stolen Generation. Yes, um, I am. Yep. Uh, you've worked in the sector for a long time across a range of portfolios. Mm. Are things getting better? 
Yes, they are, but slowly. Um, and and when we talk about better, it's 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 difficult to to um, say in, in any particular thing. I think one of the problems that government has had traditionally is it's looked at, and look, even we as an Aboriginal community have been guilty of it at times, is looking at what is the problem of today or a problem at the moment and how do we stop it getting worse or how do we focus on that and make it better. Whereas, in fact, if you really want to make change, big change, you actually have to look at everything. You have to look at it all at once. You have to address it properly and you have to do it, do it over a long period of time. That's how you bring about change. So in Victoria, for example, um, well, actually, when I compare Victoria to every other state in Australia, we're miles ahead of everybody else here. We, uh, we have an approach and, a, and we think about how do we uplift every Aboriginal person in the state, not just those who are in chronic disadvantage, but how do we help everybody uplift, uplift their lives? And bear in mind, this is going to take a long time to do. I mean, I think we're in a unique position in Victoria that, and, and there'll be those who take issue with me when I put it this way, but I can only think about putting it this way. We actually have the time and the space now to really look at what could be termed as the luxury of treaty. Yeah. We've moved beyond just dealing with justice issues or just dealing with health issues. We have made moves on all those to free up the time and the space and the imagination I think, to actually um... devote ourselves to treaty. Yeah, I think I think the thing with 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 the treaty process, and um, for those that don't know, there's a uh, a treaty process happening in Victoria at the moment where a framework is being established through the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commissioner to actually establish a framework for negotiations between traditional owners and First Peoples and the Victorian government. I think it does. You know, the treaty process represents and and and, and brings you know, people to the table about a whole range of issues and it gets people talking. Do you think there's also potential danger, though, that it can actually cause a bit of a fraying and and force people um, to retreat back into their own mobs and communities instead of having sort of a statewide sort of dialogue? There is imperfection in, in any process of this nature because it is. I mean, this is the first time in Australia there is no template for this. Absolutely not. We're actually... We're the guinea pigs for everybody else. Yeah, so, typical. Yep, and that's because we're ahead of everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yes, I agree. I agree. There has been a lot of debate, a lot of discussion. There have been those who've retreated to what they know best because this is unexplored... Well, this is the undiscovered country. What does treaty look like beyond just saying we want treaty? This is real. This is the detail of it. There are those who've retreated to what they know through their their... their because it is so new, because they're afraid of what it might bring, because of what might happen. Could it go wrong? If you don't try things, though, you risk of it going, you know, if you, if you don't do things because of your fear of it failing, then you'll never move forward in any case at all. So, so in that regard, I think, yes, there are those who've gone backwards, but I think there is more energy around we have to do this, we have to make ways forward, we can't stand still. So I think there's more energy about that. Having said that, I think there is a nervousness about where we will ultimately go or how this will pan out, but I don't think we should be afraid of where that goes because if we, we are, we'll never get anywhere. It's uh, 10 to 8. You're listening to Triple R 102.7 FM. My name's Daniel James. This is The Mission. We're speaking to Ian Ham, the uh, newly appointed president of the Community Broadcasting Foundation, but we're also, also speaking to him in his capacity as a Yorta Yorta man and an experienced operator. You sound, um, you sound tremendously op- optimistic about the future, Ian. Uh, 
you have to be optimistic. I mean, if I was pessimistic about being Aboriginal, then, you know, God help us all kind of stuff. Um, if we were pessimistic, it is that stuff of, it is that stuff of, uh, I, I believe we are on the cusp of, of having a better future for our children. It's one of those things where you've got to think not where are we next year, but where are we in a decade from now? Where are we in a generation from now? So I often ask myself, what is the world that I want Jasper and Isabel, my two kids, what does the world look like for them in a generation from now? That's always been a driving force for me. Um, and you have to be optimistic about it. I mean, quite simply, I don't want them to have the life that I had. I want them to have a better life. So I have to be optimistic about what that will be and dedicate myself to actually not just hoping it will be will, will be better, but what can I actually directly do to make it better, not just for my two kids, but for every Aboriginal child in this state. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you've, you've got to take the long the long view with these with these issues, and I think that's the, the constant challenge between uh, the the Aboriginal community here in Victoria and you know governments at all levels. Is that governments work to their time frame, but yeah. um, that time frame often does not fit into the the lifespan of the initiatives and 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 the work that needs to be done to turn some of those results around. Yeah, I can let you in on a secret now that I no longer work from government. <laughs> that when I was when I was in Aboriginal Affairs as a Deputy Director and then Executive Director, um, I actually took the view that my role was to look beyond a particular government or a particular minister and help them lay out a vision for them of where we might be going and what role they can play as minister, what role their government can play in that in a much longer journey that will outlast them. And to their credit, every minister I worked with got that and saw that their role was to what can they do to contribute to that during their time in the Office of Minister for Aboriginal Affairs. Yes, there's always the day-to-day stuff you deal with that you can't get around, but if they knew there was actually a bigger destiny, their, their job, like mine, was what can we do to contribute to getting to where we want to be in the very, very long term, long after we've left office as ministers and executive directors and stuff. Well, I wish you um, all the best in the various hats that you wear. What, what is, just quickly, before I let you go, um, what, what yeah. are some of the other hats you're wearing at the moment? Okay, so I'm chair of, uh, chair of the First Nations Foundation. We do uh, work around... Uh, literacy, financial literacy for Aboriginal people and reform of the finance sector uh, around access uh, for Aboriginal people to the whole finance sector. Um, I'm chair of Connecting Home, which is the Solar Generation Service here in Victoria. Um, I'm chair of the Curry Heritage Trust, so I'm on the board of that. and I'm also now chair of the um, Community Broadcasting Foundation. Um, I'm on the board of Aboriginal Housing Victoria, um, who uh, we now own 1,600 properties outright, so that makes us the biggest Aboriginal housing provider in Australia. It's come a um, long way. Oh, and the fourth biggest general housing provider, full stop. Um, I'm on the board of Indigenous Community Volunteers, so we we look at how we get um, the corporate sector to volunteer in Aboriginal communities around Australia. Um, I'm on the board of the National Trust, um, so, you know, that's the one that looks after old buildings, as it were, so the old Melbourne jail, Como, that kind of stuff. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm... <laughs> and the Australian Red Cross. I really like doing that, the Australian Red Cross. I've got, um, yeah, that's, I find that really... Um, it's a big organisation that has a great capacity to do a lot of good community work, and it does a lot of work in the Aboriginal community too, which is originally why I um, got involved with the Red Cross. Gee, I'm, I'm almost sorry I asked. 
we're, we're pressed for time. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, all, they're all the ones I can think of. I'm sure there's another one. I just can't think of it. Well, no wonder you're bored wearing all those hats. Jesus. Yeah, I feel like a hat rack. <laughs> Ian, thanks very much for your time. Stay in touch. Um, might get you back on the show from time to time to get a bit of your uh, commentary and um, uh, talk to you about some of those other hats in uh, greater detail. So thanks for your time this evening. A pleasure, Daniel. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.